welcome to Legal Anatomy of Curry Events. I'm Gary Bell along with Brad Pollock. This is our podcast to give you the legal story, inside the story, inside the current events in our country. We're glad to do it. So we're going to give you the legal analysis of the most current events, give you the legal breakdown. And by the way, there was a new case before the Supreme Court. But do you think, what do you think if Brad and I told you that you could be acquitted, right, charged, tried to a jury trial, and acquitted and still sentenced to jail in this country. What do you think? You want to know the answers to those questions? Well, stay tuned because you got legal anatomy of current events coming right up next. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. T minus 10, internal power green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7, we have ignition. 5, 4, commit for launch green. 3, 2, 1, we have liftoff. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, all for you. Now on the air. All right, good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are in America. Brad Pollack, Gary Bell. We are attorneys out of Denver. This is our Legal Anatomy of Current Events podcast. We try to give you the legal story inside the story. And today in the news, we've got a case uh, from the United States Supreme Court called McClinton versus the United States. McClinton versus the United States. So we're going to bring you up to date on this. And as you know, if you're listening to the top of the show, uh, can you in this country go to trial be charged, go to trial, be acquitted, and still sentenced to jail. So let me give you a little bit of the facts about Clinton, McClinton versus the United States. Uh, the defendant in that case was convicted of robbing a pharmacy. He had a, he had a cohort. He had a co-conspirator. He had a co-robber, if you want to call it that. Convicted of robbing a pharmacy. And then when they got home, he and his buddy got into a big fight, right? a big fight about how are they going to divide up the loot that they stole from the pharmacy. And then it was alleged and charged that the defendant, McClinton, shot his buddy and killed him. And so they had a trial. The DA pressed charges, and, and he was charged with robbing the pharmacy, and he was charged with murder. And Brad, I'll set it up, and then you take, take it over from here, but he was found guilty on robbing the pharmacy. So he's going to get sentenced to jail for that, but he was acquitted on the murder charge. But do you think he was still sentenced on the murder charge? Well, I, I don't want to give the secret away, but... Give it away. <clears throat> I, it, it's called acquitted conduct sentencing. Uh, you don't have to be found guilty for the charge, but you're still going to get sentenced for the conduct for which you were acquitted. And I, I'm glad you said it because I was going to interrupt you if you said that McClinton shot and killed his friend. 
in the dispute because the jury found him not guilty. Of the murder. Of the murder. So evidently the jury found that he either didn't shoot him or he didn't kill him or he didn't do something that would cause his death. Uh, but the bottom line is, is the jury said, no, he didn't do it. Um, the, the, we have the phenomenon when, like I said, it's called acquitted conduct sentencing where judges can uh, take charges for which a, a defendant has been acquitted and been found not guilty and still use that as a sentencing enhancer to cause greater uh, to, to cause a, a higher sentence. Now, it, it's, a, it's a weird phenomenon, and when we deal with it, we have to understand how these things work. Because we, we, to those of you, and I, you know, I'm one that's going, man, that doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. And I would imagine a lot of people think it doesn't seem right. But what do we do when we see a judge or how do we take it when we see a judge in court? Uh, somebody pleads guilty, or somebody says, "Yeah, they did it." It can be as it can even be a minor traffic offense or whatever. And the judge looks at the record, the person's record, and they look at their criminal record. And that criminal record uh, may have a number of instances where it talks about arrests. It talks about arrests, but it doesn't talk about convictions at times. Or it may show an arrest, but it won't show there was a follow-up conviction. But the judge gets an, a belief or an understanding of what type of person is before him or her because they're saying this person has all these prior arrests. And maybe it says they got convicted. Maybe it doesn't say they got convicted. Maybe it says they were acquitted. But the judge starts believing that that's, that's the type of person they deal with or that they start judging the character of that person because they were charged. And uh, is that right? Is that correct? Should we have that in our system where a judge is determining enhancers and additional time in jail or additional time on probation or additional penalties or additional fines or anything else just based on arrests or charges? Or peripheral information. Let's go back to McClinton versus the United States. We just said they robbed a pharmacy. So they were found. he was found guilty of robbing the pharmacy. His friend's dead because they said he shot him and killed him. But the jury acquitted him on the murder charge. So guilty of robbing the pharmacy. But the murder charge came later when they went home and they got in a fight over, over the loot they took and how they're going to divide it up. And then it was alleged that he shot his friend. But Brad, you just said the word enhancer, enhancements. That means a longer prison time. So let's give you, let's give you the exact numbers in the McClinton case. And this will open your eyes. So the robbery conviction of you know robbing the pharmacy carried, uh, you know, the sentencing guidelines carried a, a, a sentence of five to six years. That's the sentencing guideline. But when the judge considered the fact of he thought, the judge thought that the defendant, even though he was acquitted, actually did kill his friend, he increased the sentence from five years to 19 years in prison. For 14 years, now this, this is interesting, it's 14 years for a crime that the jury said you didn't do. Exactly. For, or for the jury, uh, and, and we've got to be careful on that too, because when a, ju a jury acquits you, it doesn't necessarily say you didn't do it. It's, it the jury is saying uh, the, the prosecution didn't prove that you did do it. So they can't say you did it. 
they can't say you didn't do it either. They, they, you know, maybe sometimes jurors can come back and say, well, we've looked at this evidence and we've considered it all and you didn't do it. But basically that's not on a verdict form. A verdict form doesn't allow you for the jury to say you didn't do it. The verdict form says, do you find that the person did it? Or do you find them guilty or not guilty? Is they're guilty or not guilty? Right. And what not guilty means is there, you know, absence of guilt. Uh, but does that mean they, they didn't do it, or does that mean when you get the other instruction that says, in order to find uh, defendant X guilty, you must find the following? And they start going through the list of things. And the jury presumably goes back in the jury room and says, okay, was each one of these proved beyond a reasonable doubt? Beyond a reasonable doubt. And if it was proved beyond a reasonable doubt, the in each and every element is proved beyond a reasonable doubt, they go over to that other jury verdict form. And they say, guilty. And if they say, well, one of these wasn't proved beyond a reasonable doubt, they say, not guilty. Right. For an example, they might say that the jury verdict instructions might say that the defendant had a gun, that the defendant intentionally pointed the gun at the deceased, that the the defendant pulled the trigger, uh, thereby causing the bullet to enter the skull of the deceased, and and the deceased and decedent died as a result of the bullet wound. With, so, the, with the intent to cause, with the intent to cause serious bodily injury or death. or death. Okay, so they might say, well, one of those elements wasn't proved, so we're going to find not guilty. But you never know why the jury found him not guilty. So let's go back to that, Brad, because, because now we have just found out in this country, and we're going to get what the Supreme Court thinks about it, and Judge Sotomayor gave her opinion, uh, but we just found out that you can be acquitted on a charge and 14 extra years added to you on the charge which you were found not guilty on. Right. And but, but I want to point out to everybody that when you go to tr- trial in a criminal trial, the prosecution has to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, Re- and that means beyond a reasonable doubt. But when the judge sentences you and sentences you to extra time on the charge you were acquitted on, the judge he or she only has to do it by what's called a preponderance of the evidence. Not beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that's a bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo, but that's very important. So, Brad, every good defense lawyer in this, in this country knows that when you're defending somebody in front of a jury on a criminal, criminal case, you try to create reasonable doubt. You create reasonable doubt on something, and then you argue to the jury later in the closing argument that there is doubt about this point X. There's doubt about point number two. There's doubt about point number three, and I'm just making this up right now. There's doubt that the defendant was at the scene. There's doubt that he had the gun in his hand. And you can't convict him unless you're convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. And and so that's a different burden of proof. Now, when he's acquitted, the judge can use a lesser burden of proof, an easier burden of proof called preponderance of the evidence, Whether and that means it's just more probable or not. It's more believable than not. It's more likely than not. So the judge determined that it was more likely than not not beyond a reasonable doubt, more likely than not that he actually did kill him, so he added 14 years. Well, right, and the, the problem comes up is is wh- how far can the judges go in looking at a prior record, and how much of a record can they look at, and how much should we allow them to look at? Now, our Supreme Court, uh, Justice Sotomayor, in her opinion, uh, basically kicked the can down the road. 
and said there's a commission looking at this and the commission is going to look at it by the end of 2024. And if the commission doesn't do something about this, we may do something about it. Uh, I didn't see anything saying one way or the other from the Supreme Court that they agreed with it or didn't agree with it or how the majority felt. It was more or less just, well, we've got a commission looking at it and so we're not going to take action. Now, what's what's the, the concern about that? And what does that tell you or what are you thinking when you hear that? Uh, that's fine and dandy for the other people coming up later on if the commission changes or if uh, the commission doesn't, well, then the Supreme Court might step in. But in the, it, it, during that same time, uh, guess who's spending 19 years in prison uh, on what should have been a five to six year or six to seven year charge? instead is getting to spend uh, 19 years in prison. Now, you stop and look and say, had there been no conviction for the robbery and there been no conviction for the murder, then could the judge have sat there and said, you know, I'm just going to do this whole thing, and I think I'm going to go ahead and, and find you guilty on that murder anyway, and I'm going to give you 19 years? Or could the judge only keep that door open and decide by a preponderance of the evidence that I'm going to convict you for something that the jury didn't, and I'm going to sentence you. Well, actually, I get, I'm not so sure the judge convicted him. I think the judge just sentenced him. Just sentenced him. didn't convict him, just added 14 years to his, his sentence. For somebody that nobody found he did. But I want to go back to this burden of proof because it's so, it's so critical to our podcast today. So to get a conviction in criminal courts, the prosecutor has to prove they're guilty beyond reasonable doubt. And I just said every good defense lawyer in this country tries to create reasonable doubt on every point that they're trying to prove and argues to the jury this is doubtful. This was reasonable doubt. This is doubtful. Doubtful. If you have doubt, you can't convict. You know, if the, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? Old O.J. Simpson. So they create reasonable doubt. But when the judge starts to add the sentence to the charge in which you were found not guilty, the, the standard is much different, and it's less, and it's easier. Basically, the judges has to believe that's kind of true. That's, that's pretty much kind of true. 15, that, 15, I, I kind of believe that you did kill him. You were acquitted him, but I kind of believe and think that you did. And I don't have to think that beyond a reasonable doubt. I just kind of think that you did, so I'm going to add 14 years. Yeah, I think you did it. I think you did it. And, you know, I think the jury's wrong. I can't overturn what the jury did. But even maybe I, maybe I agree with the jury. Maybe as the judge, I look and I go, you know, I think the jury's right. Beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm not so sure that the DA sustained that but burden. But I don't have to meet that burden. But I, I, I kind of think you did it. And because I kind of think you did it, I'm going to go ahead and sentence you for it. Because you've given me that linchpin, that anchor that I can grab onto. Meaning being convicted of the robbing the pharmacy. Yes, because you're convicted of robbing the pharmacy. And because I now have that, it allows me to get you for what maybe you didn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt, but it was proved pretty much so. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and, and sentence you for it anyway. Exactly. And and what does that do to our system of justice? What do we think should be done on some of that? But then I go back for any of you who are sitting there going, "That's not fair. That's ridiculous." Then you know my question is: Let's say the judge would have not decided to do that and instead would have started looking at the sentencing for the robbery and would have said, in order for me to determine whether you should get uh, three years or six years, I'm going to look at your record of the past 
and I'm going to see what that record says. And I see here that you had two previous sentences where you served time, did all your time, did what you're supposed to do. You were lawfully on the streets, but you served time. And I see where you got charged with three other crimes. And I'm certain you did one of those other crimes. And so by golly, I'm giving you six years rather than three years because I can see a bad record. Right. I, I see a bad record, and, and, and that's what they do all the time. Now, we talked about the United States Sentencing Commission, the commission. There's a commission. There's a body, an agency, right? It's an independent group within the United States judiciary. It was created in 1984. And so they established sentencing guidelines. Because you, the, the reason they did this is because you, they were having so, much, so many inconsistent sentences. You might be convicted of armed robbery, robbery in Georgia, or a federal statute in Georgia, and you were given a 20-year sentence, and the same crime in California, maybe a four-year sentence. So they established this commission to, to give uniform rules and sentencing guidelines for crimes. So that's what Justice Sotomayor said. And, she, and they took this case, this case and went up to the Supreme Court, and they decided not to decide it. They denied it. And she said, it's going back to the sentencing commission, in 2024, and we're going to see what answer they come up with this. Just because you were acquitted, you can still be sentenced, and it's called acquitted conduct sentencing. So, Brad, so let me give you a let me give you a hypothetical. I'm going to throw a curveball at you here, okay? So, McDonald was con- convicted, and then he had an extra 14 years attacked onto his sentence because the judge thought, just kind of thought, not beyond a reasonable doubt, but just kind of thought he was guilty of the murder. And so I'm going to, he tacked on an extra 14 years. Now, what if the United States Sentencing Commission meets in 2024 and says no more acquitted conduct sentencing? We abolish it. You, you can't use it anymore, judges, just because they were convicted on one count and acquitted on another count. You can't use the, uh, the uh, conviction on one count to enhance the penalty or the jail time on the on the acquitted count. What if the commission says no, no more? What happens to McDonald? He's in jail for nineteen years. Clinton. No, I'm sorry, Clinton. Well, I don't know if it's going to make a difference to McClinton because I'm not so sure it's going to be retroactive. I'm not either. And so, what you're going to do is you're going to find the USSC, United States Sentencing Commission. You're going to find them saying, "Here's what goes on for you judges in the future," but guess what? For you judges, for everything that's in the past, for all of you who are serving time, extra time, and I would venture to guess it's hundreds if not thousands that are serving extra time because of a judge's belief that they did something for which they were not convicted but added on time because the judge believed they did it. Uh, I would say that's probably in the thousands. All, none of them are going to get out of jail. None were going to get a review of their sentencing guidelines or their sentencing. Well, I know that if you're a defense attorney for the one that got the extra 14 years, you're going to be filing motions. And who knows what the court's going to do, but you're going to be filing uh, motions and motions and motions. And for those of you who are old enough to remember Watergate, that's what John Dean's lawyer uh, did. He kept filing motion and motion to have him released. Finally, the judge said, okay, I'm going to have you released. You served three years. And so, John Dean, you're going to get out of, out of jail and, and pretty much right away. So I think the motions are going to be filed, but but whether or not the rule, if the rule is changed by the United States Sentencing Commission, whether or not that can be retroactive is a whole other another, uh, legal consideration. 
which which leads to something that we have to understand in our in our society, our justice system, and how our justice system justice system work works, and our justice system works with men and women sitting in a position of a judge uh, making certain decisions that affect the outcome of what happens in a case. Period. And if you don't think that's true, then all you got to do is start looking at what what we're seeing in the news now, where they talk about. Donald Trump, and they talk about, okay, he gets his, this indictment or he gets his charges, and what's one of the first things they talk about on the news, The one of the first questions they ask, who's the judge? Who's the judge? And is this a judge that is going to be lenient, and is this a judge who's not going to? Well, if, if you think it's all law and you think it's just simply law and it's jury and it's a decision made according to sentencing guidelines, then you wouldn't care who the judges. But you, the judge is the one who's deciding whether or not evidence comes in or out. The judge is the one who's deciding when things happen and when they don't happen. Uh, so anytime you're ever faced with a situation of saying, uh, you know, how will a case ha- come out or what's the case all about or how does it stack up against the law book, the book that you look at that says law on it and, and it laws and it tells you what the laws are, you also have to decide, figure out who would be that judge. Right, you know, but back, back to this acquitted conduct sentencing. The people that keep want to keep it, their position is basically you're convicted of one crime, and the, the two crimes or three crimes or four crimes are kind of related, and so we're going to let the judge decide whether or not you get punished for the one that you were acquitted on. And by the way, they say it's no big deal anyway because every judge gets a pre-sentencing report before sentencing. There's an investigation done, right? There's usually investigation done, and the report is given. Uh, the investigation is given to the judge. And like Brad said earlier, in this investigation report, it might say that you were arrested twelve times, never convicted. And if you're the judge, you might say, "Well, there, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire." Hello, arrested 12, 12 times, uh, no conviction, but this time you got convicted. So I'm going to use that. So that's their argument that you should keep this acquitted conduct um, sentencing. And it's it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting conduct, uh, you know. And I understand the desire for somewhat uniform sentencing. I understand the desire for uh, that to be addressed. Uh, you can have the same crime committed in two different states, and for one, it carries a, a, a two or three year sentence. For others, it carries a twenty year sentence. Um, no possibility of parole, or maybe a possibility of parole. Uh, I understand all that, and you. On the other hand, uh, you you stop and you say, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't judges be trying to look at the character of the person who committed the crime? So if you get a person who's committed a crime that shows an outstanding background, outstanding character, outstanding history, never been in trouble before, uh, been on this earth for, let's say, 40, 30, 40 years, uh, got caught up in one thing and did something and, and is now being uh, sentenced for one thing, and one thing only, or maybe there's some other ones, and the judge goes, you know, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and think that I want you out in four or five years. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a lesser sentence, or maybe if I give you a five-year sentence, you'll be out in two years or three years, depending on what goes on with, uh, with, with good time, uh, versus a judge who looks and goes, look at this rap sheet. This rap sheet is so long. I, I can't be letting you out that soon. And so that, that companion case that was going on, or that companion charge, not companion case, but companion charge, I'm going to find you guilty on it. 
and I'm going to find a reason to keep you in prison because you need to stay there for 15 years rather than two years. Right, and let's take another example. If you remember Ted Bundy, the serial killer, what what if, I'm making this up right now, what if they could only convict him of one one assault, not even murder, but one assault, but but they know and they thought and they think that he committed over 100 murders. And so if that's raised in the sentencing, pre-sentencing report, the judge is going to consider that. So the proponents of keeping acquitted conduct sentencing says, what's the difference? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you look at Timothy McVeigh, blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City, right? Uh, the same thing. Maybe he was charged with crimes they didn't convict him of. And maybe they convicted him of some, but there he was in the middle of it all. So that's what we're talking about on sentencing guidelines. That's what we're talking about, acquitted conduct sentencing. I bet you, I'll bet you before you listen to the show, you thought that in this country, the United States of America, you can't be tried, I mean, charged, tried, and acquitted and still sentenced to jail. But we just told you how we could do it. Okay, Brad, let's get to the part of the show now on our podcast. Um, you talk about the American idiom. Uh, what do we have for an American idiom? You know, you've been really doing pretty good lately on these podcasts. You've been picking out some pretty apropos American idioms. What do you got for us today? Well, the idiom t- of today starts out with what we call the long arm of the law. <laughs> and the long arm of the law reaches out uh that results in somebody acting as the judge, the jury, and the executioner throws the book at someone. <laughs> the long arm, you do pretty good. I mean, I think I'm going to hire you. You can be, you want to be part of this podcast? That's cool. So, you know, I just want you to remember that that's the way it is. And when you're going into the into trial, you're dealing with a long arm of the law. Or the fickle finger of fate. <laughs> no, no. Let's call it, we'll call it the legal fickle finger of fate. Legal finger of fate. I didn't find that idiom, but you know, I'm sure there's one out there. You say that. That's hard to say. The legal fickle finger of fate. Well, that's like Peter say? Piper picked a pick a pick of pimple peppers. Well, well, <laughs> if you want to go next, because once that it all works, you're going to do some time. So, <laughs> you're going to do some time. All right. And I got the quote of the day today, as we do every every week when we do our podcast. In the slammer, by the way. In the slammer, right? Okay, so this quote comes. Well, it's kind of a, it kind of applies to what we're talking about today, also. Um, it comes from Joe Tishio, and the quote is: "Every choice you make is creating your future. Choose wisely." So I guess if you're McClinton. Every choice you made was to rob the pharmacy. You shouldn't have made that choice. You found guilty in robbing the pharmacy. Every choice you make is creating your future. Choose wisely. Okay. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We have offices in Denver and beautiful Steamboat Springs in northwestern Colorado. We bring you this legal anatomy of current events every week to give you an update and we give you the legal story Inside the story of our current events, we've covered a lot of interesting subjects. We love doing this. You can reach us anytime you want at info at legalanatomy.net. Info at legalanatomy.net. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, our pleasure. We will see you next week.